So Israel had a long, long history, a history that was filled with many highs and lows, times of plenty and times of little. But few things in their long history shaped Israel's collective psyche more than their history of being invaded and conquered. In the centuries that led up to the New Testament, no fewer than six different nations invaded and occupied Israel. You had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. They all forced themselves into the land of Israel. After the rise and fall of those nations, the Seleucid and the Ptolemy empires fought for control over Israel as well. And when those two empires began to crumble, just when it looked like Israel had outlasted all of its enemies, just when it looked like Israel would be free from foreign oppression, in walked the Romans. The long and sordid history of Israel of successes, invasions, and occupations had made the time of John the Baptist a confused mess of allegiances and enemies. Centuries of warfare and struggle have formed Israel into a boiling cauldron of political ambition and greed. In this malaise, politicians sought not the good of the people, but above all things, they sought their own power and security. And if the people had to suffer in their pursuit of power, then so be it. I know we can't recognize this at all, right? But what made this mess in Israel even messier was that the religious leaders seemed to be playing the exact same game. Sure, their quest for power was a bit more subtle than the average politicians, but make no mistake, most of the religious elite in Israel did not care for the people. They did not care about pursuing God. Those who were supposed to lead the people of Israel in worship of God instead perverted his truth. Those who were supposed to act as shepherds instead acted as wolves. And it's into this mess of ambition and lies, of savagery and frustrations, of anger and evil and oppression, that John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness. The day of the Lord's coming was upon them, his arrival was imminent, and John implores the people to prepare themselves. He pleads with them to ready themselves, to repent and to be baptized. What I want to do with you this morning is to trace that message of John. I want us to see how John's message is received, how many in Israel hear it and they heed the words of John and they do repent. But I want us to also see that there's, or there are those who hear the same message, who hear the same exact words and they respond to John, not with repentance, but with vengeance. And once we have those two threads of the story in place, I want us to turn and look at our world. I want us to look at our cities and our homes. And I want us to ask the same question many in Israel asked John. What should we do? So if you haven't yet, turn to Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And let's dive into the story. <clears throat> in the first few verses of our gospel text, John the Baptist says something to Israel that's very, very interesting. Look, starting in verse 8. It reads, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, if you're slow like me, the very first time you read this verse, you're not sure what's really being said. But let's take another look at it and take it piece by piece. The first sentence of verse 8 reads, 
bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Okay, John is saying something pretty plain here. If, if you are repentant, then there should be some outward sign of your repentance. That sign is on the outside, your repentance is on the inside, so you should be able to see something about what's happening. Now, it's true that your spiritual repentance may be a cry of inner lament that no one except God alone hears, but John's main point is that your inward repentance may be invisible to the world, but the fruit that is born out of your repentant heart should be clear for everyone to see. Others should be able to see the fruits of your repentance, your actions, your speech, the fruits that are produced from your repentant heart should be on display for all the world to see. And that fruit, the fruit produced by God in you, should be as obvious to the world as a vine that's full of berries or a tree that's in full bloom. Your repentance should be that obvious. But later in the same verse, John seems to anticipate that the crowd will try to make some sort of caveat for themselves. He seems to know them well enough that he anticipates their response. According to John, the response of the people to John's call for repentance and the bearing of good fruit was going to be something like this. Hey, John, we, we hear you. Repentance, good fruit, all of that. But John, you seem to have forgotten we have Abraham as our father. So we're good. We're in. We are God's sons and daughters by birthright, John. So I'm, I'm not sure this message is really for us. Now, what in the world does Abraham have to do with these people repenting of their sin? This sounds so strange. Well, here's basically what's going on with the whole Abraham thing. Many in Israel believe that what marked you as God's own, what you could rely on as evidence of your good standing with God, was that your line could be traced back to Abraham. Those who descended from Abraham could rest easy, that they were in God's good graces. But John responds to that line of thinking with this. You think being in the line of Abraham makes you special? You think being a child of Abraham is that special? Man, if God wanted to, he could make sons of Abraham out of those rocks right there. Being the children of Abraham did not automatically grant them salvation. Being the people of God did not mean they ceased to have need for repentance. As a matter of fact, if they wanted to act like the children of Abraham, if they truly were God's people, then they should have been the very first ones to repent. They should have been the very first ones who cried out for forgiveness and began living the lives of redeemed people that bore good fruit. The people who were like that, the people who were like trees bearing much fruit, and those who rested on their laurels of their lineage, those who did not repent of their sins, were like trees that produced nothing. And barren, fruitless trees were now on notice. Because as John says in verse, chapter, in, in verse 10, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Playtime in Israel was over. The Lord was on his way, and what he required of every single person, Jew and Gentile alike, was repentance. That message of John is the message of the church today. 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ has not stopped announcing that the Lord is coming soon. 
that he calls all mankind to repent of their sins and then live lives that are holy and blameless, to live lives of redeemed people, of hope, to live lives that bear good fruit. But guys, if we aren't careful, if Christians fail to ask the Lord to examine our hearts, to root out sins in our lives, wherever it may be found, if we fail to do that, then we run the risk of thinking and acting just like Israel. Like Israel, we will walk through our days thinking that our repentance is optional, that the real problems of the world are are out there somewhere. If we aren't careful, we'll begin to think that our repentance isn't something that takes place at all, that it should take place everywhere in the whole world except our hearts. But guys, if we are the people of God we proclaim to be, then shouldn't we be the very first ones on our knees? Shouldn't we be the very first ones willing to repent? Shouldn't we be so tender to the leading of the Lord and to the conviction of sin that we live lives of constant repentance? The church of Jesus Christ should be the last people in the whole entire world that thinks repentance is someone else's responsibility. No, that is our job too. I don't need to tell you that repentance can be a hard thing sometimes. Facing your sin, it's gross, man. But what you may not know is that facing your sin and by God's grace, repenting of it can also be dangerous. Maybe you've never thought of it like that. But just keep in mind what happens to John the Baptist in just a few chapters. John's repentance and his call for others to follow suit and prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord, led him into direct conflict with Herod. The good fruit that John was bearing was being contrasted with the deadness of Herod. And this contrast between he and John seemed to make Herod even more unwilling to repent, even more unwilling to face his sins and ask for forgiveness. Instead, the goodness that was shown in John became the motivation for Herod to lash out at him. Herod was unwilling to be held responsible for his sin, so instead he held John responsible for it. And this is something that the repentant and redeemed Christian can never forget. This world has no shortage of Herod's. There is no shortage of people who will use your connection to the Messiah as the very basis upon which they hate and despise you. There are those in this world that will hate you and seek your destruction because they see the life of God producing good fruit in you. And being unwilling to repent themselves, they instead indict you. But this is the exact struggle that every single Christian has signed up for. If we do what John asks of Israel, if we do what Christ still asks of us, if we repent of our sins and live lives that produce good fruit, then we will be like a beacon in the darkness. The church will be like a light on a hill, beckoning everyone trapped in darkness to come to Christ and be freed from sin and death. And that message of hope and forgiveness will be as a living water to some 
But make no mistake, that same exact message of hope and forgiveness will fuel the rage of those unwilling to repent and call Christ Lord. Christ has promised you as much. So what do we do this morning? Do we hear the word of the Lord and respond in repentance? Do we ask the Lord to search our hearts and convict us of the sin that we know that we have? Do we get serious about this Christian life? Or like many in Israel, do we, do we defer? Do we make repentance something that someone else needs to do? As the days of this world grow ever shorter, as the days grow even more dark and contentious, the church must always remember repentance begins with us. The church must be those who bear good fruit as a sure sign of repentance. The church must remember that there will be those who see your repentance, who see the good fruit that's produced in you by the Spirit. They will clearly see the presence of God in your life and it will draw them to the Lord. It will draw them to repentance and belief themselves. This message of hope, of forgiveness and redemption is the only hope of the world. It's what Advent is all about. And the Christian must be the very first person willing to act it out in their own lives. But will we? Will we respond to what the Lord is calling us to? To repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen.